So it's an occasion for gathering together uh, as a collective and also gathering together as an individual, collecting oneself, gathering one's, oneself, gathering one's mind, heart together into a particular uh, form, uh, form of practice. So it's a living form living in a particular way and using the mind in a particular way gives it a certain shape form to it whereas uh, we don't have a certain defined shape then our mind is shaped by the influences that whatever we put our attention into can be very and in this day and age it can be very scrambled mind can be very scrambled uh, unsteady um, overloaded, um, sometimes really, really overloaded, depleted, and scattered. And so, the, well, the aim is to uh, generate a certain shape uh, for the mind, or shaping the mind through these uh, supportive influences. And first, of course, this is. Uh, you know, both offered, but also up to each individual to to commit to and to get the sense of, you know, and to you know, feel themselves, feel for themselves, it's shaping your own mind into something you find yourself enjoying, uh, pleased with, strengthened by, supported by, rather than something that's weighty. There's no getting away from your mind. There's nowhere to go to. There's no getting away from it. So you want to make it something that's steady, comfortable, reliable, and, and even. And this is a possibility. So uh, first of all, I'd like to express uh, acknowledgement, and I'm sure as many of you do, appreciation for what it's taken to assemble this particular occasion. Yeah. So acknowledge with gratitude uh, the it's three, particularly three groups of people, uh, the Buddha Dhamma Foundation, Petaling Jaya in Malaysia, and then uh, Nibbana Dhamma Raka uh, organization in Singapore, and then Buddha Dhamma Foundation in Singapore. So just through these are all volunteers, nobody's paid, they're all just volunteers. Uh, using their energy and their resources and their know-how to try to establish something for the welfare of whoever would like to participate in it. And I think that's a very, very generous uh, offer. Uh, not, a, not an easy offer to make, but a profound offering that takes uh, endeavour. And I hope that for them it's been enjoyable to gather together as a group in this very isolated time to, to fashion something together as a group and work it out and then the joy of offering it the certain beauty and happiness that comes when we can offer something we feel is for the welfare of others there's a brightness of heart and so I really uh, acknowledge that and we also acknowledge that as a group to these people who have made this effort so Anamodana is the word animal done and we rejoice in your goodness.
And this is a profound offering, but it's, I'm sure they would all acknowledge it's an offering that naturally arises because of what they've been doing. You know, when you practiced, when you trained, when you have uh, worked on your mind, you realize this is the best thing you can do for yourself. And it's the, the most beautiful thing is to be able to offer other people the chance to, to also find their own welfare. So, you know, so this is the kind of the motivation and the commitment and the aspiration of the retreat. Um, so, you know, every time you participate in this, and I hope you can participate in this as far away as possible, it is stretched across various time zones. Um, but uh, recognize the organizer is going to be there all, all the time. <laughs> you know, uh, one of them, two of them, a few of them will be there all the time. So they're making that effort. And I think it encourages us to also to rise up and say, well, you know, they're making this commitment. I want to respect that and commit myself. What are we committing to? Well, in a way, we encapsulate that. Um, in this opening, refugees, precepts. In essence, this is a refugees is both a recognition. There are many things we wish to take refuge from: you know, violence, uh, fear, uh, depression, sadness, uh, overwhelmed, feeling overloaded, uh, loss of heart, feeling, you know, disappointed. What's the point? you know, loss of heart, or just overwhelmed. Taking refuge, there's definitely things to take refuge from. And there is a refuge, there is a place where our heart can feel buoyant again, uplifted, open, free from these harmful influences. Um, so we go to that, but it does mean, you know, uh, both it's available, but it's available for those who practice it. This is a big key word in Buddhism is not belief, but practice is the key word. Uh, belief is not going to get you very far. Practice is the essence. And so we practicing what are these refuge practices practicing towards Buddha. Buddha means awakening. We can say clarity. Uh, Buddha's expression of clear mind. Uh, practicing towards clarity, practicing with clarity, towards greater clarity. That is, if you start being clear about what you're doing and how you're doing it and what's going on, and you follow that through, you'll become clearer. It's a simple process, cause and effect. If you practice with clarity, you'll see there are things that are muddy and confusing that you can put aside, and you do put them aside because they just feel unworthy. But this definitely takes time to cultivate this. The mind has to be groomed and cared and cleaned. It takes time to clear it. There's also calm. Buddha is calm. It's not frantic. It's not a frantic kind of practice. <laughs> it's a steady, calm practice. And it leads to calm. Practice in a calm way, you arrive at calm. Buddha's upright. You see all the images of the Buddha is very straight. Even if it's lying down, it's lying down in a very composed way. It's composed. It's upright. It's not leaning on something or slouching or twitching. 
and still, still and upright. And if we practice like that, that's what happens. It's also harmless. Buddhist non-abuse verbally, physically, verbally, or even with one's intentions, even with one's heart, abstaining from cruel, callous, uh, or manipulative intentions, even attitudes of mind. Uh, and clearing out the basis of those, those attitudes. Uh, a lot of these harmful attitudes come because the mind is just confused and scattered and doesn't know its own truth, its own value. So it, it's scrambling, it gets agitated. And then we say and do things that are really reckless and ignorant. So one of the ways we begin to uh, curb that, those tendencies is through what we call the precepts or the, the sense of integrity. Yeah. The integrity. This is a centering practice. To practice with integrity gives you a framework, an, an axis. We have no framework in our life. What do we do? We just get pulled around by this, that and the other. Wherever a strong feeling occurs, we go there. Strong feeling pleasure pulls us forward. Strong feeling of displeasure pushes us back. And also, if we follow that, we become giddily looking around or fearing the next displeasure. So really orienting around the unawakened person who hasn't established this integrated presence, uh, then they are naturally led by the nose. <laughs> you know, they don't have say over what their minds are doing. They, they become weakened and, and dragged around by what people say or other people do by pleasure and pain, praise and blame. Personal integrity does have something to refer to that holds them upright. They're not dragged around. They have their own standards. They have their own values and they stay with them. And this gives a tremendous strength uh, to, to the heart, a strength that is not Brutal, but strength of composure. And this has a shaping effect on the heart. The heart becomes strong. Uh, it becomes confident because we know what we can rely upon. And we know we have, we have say over that because it's essentially based upon our intentions. We can have some say over what we intend to do how we direct our mind and heart. So the first direction we establish, check it out, is towards harmlessness. This gives rise to a sense of mutuality, like other creatures and other people are as important as we are, you know. We live in a world where we all affect each other and if we harm each other then that breaks up into warring and conflicting factions, isn't it? But if we act with harmlessness then there's a sense of respect for the life of others, uh, sensitivity and it also means our own mind is freed or liberated from the toxic quality of 
abuse your will or just plain insensitivity we don't really notice we don't really care whether other creatures suffer or not that's that's it's not a good mind to have you know so you want to establish something that actually feels benevolently inclined towards others then your heart feels much more expansive and sensitive second precepts about misappropriation taking things which are not given this helps to restrain our our covetousness you know, i want that i want this i want that however i get it doesn't really matter most important thing is i get it <laughs> how i get it doesn't doesn't matter well in buddhism we say what you get is not as important as how you get it in the world it's what you get is most important how you get it doesn't really matter if you have to cheat or steal or deceive you know, it doesn't really matter most important thing is you get it when in, in, in buddha dharma practice what you get is not as important as how you get it because how you get it stays in your mind what you get doesn't stay what you get you know you have it for an hour you have it for a week you have it for a month you have it for a second you have it for a minute and then it's gone you can't have anything actually nothing really belongs to you except your own heart right and that you can't you can't put food in it you can't you can't it doesn't do that you can't do it yeah so but how you get things how you acquire things that does stay in your heart if it's come open-handed uh, you know you don't need to cover up how you got it then your heart feels open and bright and you feel gratitude and contentment the gratitude and contentment are encouraged because they just make you feel better and stronger and you recognize most every day you know you can you're often presented with things you could want if you look around the media all kinds of things you can want but actually to appreciate what one has is more important because then you don't have to be rushing out for it so okay i had i have physical health that's very important degree to which you have that mental clarity that's extremely important um, freedom from being violated that's very important being able to breathe if you can't breathe you know how, how wonderful it is to be able to breathe because if you're struggling for breath it's extremely difficult so just these things we sense and we attune to this you know, and then most important, of course, is you know we have a good, good heart, and that can't be taken away from you. Everything else can. Everything else can, and and will. And will, you know, your health will go. But the good heart won't go. So get the priorities right. What one can gain in this life. sexual restraint respect for other beings not to use other beings 
and uh, you know for sexual purposes and uh, generally this means just a uh, you know, trusting and uh, respectful relationship during retreat time uh, we refrain from sexual activity it just keeps the energies steadier and calmer and uh, sexual energy obviously has got some power to it huge amount of power this is what keeps birth going but in practice in meditation practice you can use that energy or the energy of your body uh, is used in meditation so you, all the warming vitality and vigor is actually steadied contained and then suffused through the body and through the mind so you get a rather pleasant happy vitalized um, experience sexual activity you get some vitality but it, it comes and goes pretty quickly and then you kind of you know you can't sustain it whereas loving kindness and mindfulness you can sustain <laughs> they don't burn you out uh, also then one's attitudes towards others is of a calm cool and respectful way um, speech very important right speech it's one of the ways we can most easily harm others yeah and deceive others and also make our own minds into a mess through just um, speaking carelessly uh, deceit distorts the mind and uh, yeah, there's no strength in it because truth stands for itself whereas deceit you have to be continually activated to keep telling a lie making something up saying something isn't so whereas truth you just say how it is it doesn't it's not a, it's not a weight on the mind just say how it is uh, and but then recognizing how we how we're so uh, affected by the words of other people people's effects we careful how you place your voice into somebody else's awareness recognizing probably the most powerful influence that we can experience is the voice of another person you yeah. the most powerful influence that happens to us is the voice of another person this begins when we're born and it goes on till we die the most powerful influence the buddha said actually one of the bases of awakening is the voice of another this means a voice of somebody with clarity and truth is, is a basis for awakening and of course one could say the opposite also it's a basis for confusion deceit seduction uh, getting things wrong and just being also scrambled by incessant chatter so we refrain from unnecessary speech chit chat stuff that just floods and crowds the mind with scrambled thoughts and, and ideas that are going nowhere useful this training in right speech is a very powerful and penetrative training just to find the right time the right place to say just enough that's necessary to bring something across to another that you feel 
this is worth bringing to their attention. If I've got nothing worthwhile to say, I don't have to keep chatting away. <laughs> Just to fill up the space. And if I'm going to place something in somebody's mind, I'm going to be careful how I do that. And caring, loving. So gentle, steady. And this affects the way you think, because naturally your speech is is connected to the way you think. So if you speak more clearly, that involves clarifying your thought process, clarifying or steadying your emotional basis, so you don't sort of blurt or, or lash out or say things carelessly. So it involves a lot of careful handling of emotion and thought process. That is just itself such a huge, wonderful training. And if you do that, your mind, your heart's going to be shaped with towards lucidity, sensitivity, and proper timing. There's a lot of mindfulness involved in right speech, and a lot of beautiful results in terms of harmony with others and self-respect. I haven't said something I regret later. I haven't gossiped. You know, somebody finds out later I've been gossiping about them, you know, <laughs> which they will do. <laughs> or somebody's gossiping about me, you know, and then finds out later the, the effect of that. So it's, it's a powerful training. And as a value, truth is deathless speech. Truth is deathless speech. It's not just flimsy speech that goes nowhere. It lasts. And somebody who says something worthwhile, you remember it 10, 20 years later. And we are now remembering the word of the Buddha 2,500 years later. Yeah, he didn't waste his time saying foolish things. Stuff that would last. There's immense value in that supportive speech. Well, in silence, give people a chance to just listen to themselves, steady themselves. Obviously, all of this, these other precepts are all pretty destroyed if we don't keep the precept of non-intoxication, <laughs> which is the, the fifth precept, very important precept. We don't keep this one, the chances of keeping the others aren't that good. Speech goes, first of all. You know, to have a few drinks, you start getting careless, saying silly things, pointless things, you know. And then sexual misconduct <laughs> starts happening, violence breaks out, uh, you know. So a huge amount of crime is 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 uh, alcohol related. And unfortunately this this drug is freely available and legal and encouraged in many countries in the world. You know, world leaders are seen having a glass of wine, beer together, normal. And, uh, you know, you think, well, it's normal. Uh, uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, this is actually a poison. You, you, a dog wouldn't drink it. <laughs> a dog wouldn't drink drink it. Yeah, people pay lots of money to drink whiskey. A dog wouldn't drink whiskey. <laughs> yeah. 
the effects of it on the body. It's a toxin. It's a toxin. It is a poison. And the effects on the mind. And you're thinking, what do I do this for? It's for social contact, warmth, friendship, culture, nice flavour. Is there no other way of doing it, of being friendly and sociable? Uh, no other way of relaxing? Is that the only way you can relax? Are there no other flavours you can enjoy? You know, if somebody gave you a bottle of arsenic with some strawberry flavour, would you drink it? <laughs> So you think, no, I don't actually need that. And this means also because it's a strong socializing um, uh, habit. People aren't going to get absolutely drunk for the socializing habit. Well, you know, if you're encouraging that in others, you know, you're forming a bond of heedlessness, a community of heedlessness, of carelessness. And okay, maybe you've only had one glass of wine, but he's had four because of you having one, right? So you've encouraged the other person to think this is normally so okay. And then, you know, is it so? Is their speech reliable? Is their action reliable? Can they drive properly? Uh, would you trust them with something delicate if they've had a few drinks? No, you wouldn't. Well then, you know, What's his point to? Hmm. So maintaining balance and clarity. And clearly, a lot of the time, people are trying to relieve exhaustion. They're exhausted, so they have a drink. They want to be friendly, so they have a drink. You, know, you want to relax, so they have a drink. Well, there's other ways of being friendly and relaxing. Uh, and uh, loving kindness, integrity, care, generosity, uh, mutual support, friendship, and meditation should be a way of finding deep, nourishing rest and relaxation that rejuvenates and refreshes the mind and also refreshes the body, refreshes your nervous system. refreshes and revitalizes your nervous system, which is, can get so stressed and strained in daily life these days. Then we look at the other three are renunciation precepts, which are to do not so much with moral, so much as just a, a more refined shaping of one's uh, actions and one's intentions during the period of retreat. And some of us take these on for life and find our lives are quite happy and comfortable. So a restraint around eating. So here the standard, the classical standard is to refrain from eating after midday. And so this is basically established for the monks, so they'd only be going for alms around one time a day. And the rest of the day just forget about it. And so people would often then pick up the same precept, lay would pick up the same precept, to feel they were acting in that sort of harmonious, yeah, I'm going to do it too. I'm going to also cultivate that. I'm also going to cultivate just once or twice in the morning is enough, you know, to practice. So this has become established. The most important is just not to be snacking and munching carelessly. 
and to use food essentially to sustain one's body, which is what it's for. Yeah. So if you can use a noon time or a particular cutoff time, but I think above all, just to cultivate that sense of restraint and just using food for what it's needed for. Um, refrain from entertainment, beautification and adornments. Um, well, this is a kind of, this is a phrase, but you look at it more clearly, it's about escapism. Escapism, getting away, distracting, getting away, putting lacquer on life, putting varnish on life. Because it's just too uncomfortable without it. And that's understandable. Life can be very uncomfortable and boring and tedious and, you know, uh, but the theme here is we're, uh, you know, first of all, replacing uh, um, sources of, of well-being with inner well-being. So you don't need the escapism, you don't need the the computer game, you don't need the, um, you know, television, you don't need the music, you don't need the, all these other things. Because these are cause hugely encouraged uh, escapism but what are we escaping from mm. boredom mm. worry restlessness mm. yeah they're not pleasant uh, but you're not going to escape from them through Distraction. Escapism doesn't get you an escape. It just it just puts a bandage on a wound that falls off. And so you need another one. And the bandage keeps falling off, so you need another one. You know, people get addicted to computer games and television and so forth. Spend a huge amount of time looking at a screen and not much time looking at their own heart and mind. Um, so here, actually, you know, it's about both addressing the inner need for happiness, comfort, warmth, and also putting aside ways in which we try to fulfill those needs but fail. And also through escapism, the mind leaks. It just doesn't collect itself. It scrambles out all the time. So it weakens, it actually weakens the strength of the mind. It becomes impossible to sit still for five minutes without having something happening. You know, you look at a, a deer can stand still for five minutes quite happily. Doesn't have to have an iPhone stuck to his head. <laughs> or playing a game. You know, a deer or a cat is quite, can be quite content just sitting there. <laughs> You know, why can't we? Because you know, of the mind, it's just scrambled. Could it be collected, gathered together and settled? That's the aim of meditation. And the more that one doesn't do that, the weaker it gets, the weaker it gets, the more it requires props and supports. So we 
put aside those. And beautification, you know, you don't need to look that great, whatever that is. Another huge illusion and a huge expenditure and a huge delusion whereby, you know, people spend a huge amount of money on buying things to decorate or make their body look like something it's attractive or interesting. And, you know, like, <laughs> it's a body, right? <laughs> it's a body. It's, it's, not, it's not a self. It's not you. It's a body. And you just want to keep it clean and, and, and healthy. And that, that doesn't take too much. It doesn't cost that much to keep your body clean and healthy. And then, you know, when you're using a lot of cosmetics, it's really other people see it. You don't even see it. <laughs> so who are you doing it for? You're, you're, in a way, you're selling yourself, your image to other people. And it's not even, you're even yours. People get worried about, you know, their shape or their color or their skin. But it's not yours. It, it belongs to nature. You can't grow another ear just through an act of will. Or, you know, so just, just let it go. It's a sense of confidence and self-respect without having to kind of decorate yourself. And... Um, Last precept is about the escape of lounging. So this phrase, high and luxurious beds, it's not a matter of chopping the legs off your bed, but essentially what it points to is our capacity to just loll, loll, slouch, lounge, and not be attentive to blur out, become a couch potato. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great phrase, couch potato. So you just kind of slop down somewhere and doze uh, uh, so it, it, in a way it's a way of taking the pressure off the mind but here we're cultivating ways of taking the pressure off the mind which keep it bright alert clear poised yeah. as they say the days and nights are relentlessly passing death walks behind us Death is walking behind us, waiting for the moment. Stay awake, stay awake. Every moment counts. While you have awakeness, while you have awakeness, use it. Don't, don't bury it in needless sleep where you're careless and there's no cultivation. So make an effort uh, in that way. Uh, and as we practice, we might throw off Find the aim, one of the aim of meditation practice is to calm and soothe the nervous system and the body and the mind so you don't need so much sleep to rest and relax. And we'll be looking at that in due course of time. Now, so these are an outline of the refuges and precepts worthy of considering. And essentially they're in accord with a very fundamental principle called karma which means that what you do gives rise to effects what you do shapes your mind how your mind is shaped tends to affect what you do if your mind is narrow it acts in narrow-minded ways 
if it's spacious and comfortable, it acts in spacious, comfortable ways. If it's scrambled, it acts in scrambled ways. And then we get the results of that and we affect other people. If its intention is composed and clear, it acts in composed, clear ways. It becomes composed and clear. And you bring composure and clarity into the world. It's a very basic principle. Karma based upon chetana, the impulse, the action energy of the mind. So we come right down to the core of our being. We have the possibility to bring fortune, welfare, gladness into the world and ourselves and with the possibility to bring harm into the world and into ourselves. How do you shape your mind? Shape it for your own welfare and the welfare of others around refuges and precepts. Here we have the teaching of the Buddha. We have a practice called Dharma. You're taking refuge in Dharma. Practice means there's a definite path of self-examination and responsibility that can be undertaken. We have a practice called Sangha, which means we, we're sensing ourselves as belonging to a community, both the community you see on your screens, you know, but also the community of all living beings. We are part of that. Um, and in this practice, we're part of the community of beings who are committed to truth, virtue and awakening. Uh, if you remember that in your heart, you, know, you feel gladdened to belong to something you feel respect and uh, happiness with. So these are important things to recollect daily and to consider daily, am I in Sangha? You know, am I, you know, in my, is my heart in Sangha? Is it in a respectful, committed, truth-seeking community? virtuous community is it placed in that do i look to guidance from that can i seek friendship in that uh, do i have a path that i can trust and rely upon do i have a teacher who i can really feel this person's holding the light for me if that's there and i'm established in that this is great good fortune in its own right so i'll leave you these reflections for right now thank you for your attention